Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. How's your Thanksgiving? How was? Everybody full? Did you have a good time? Did you have a good time for you as a caregiver? Did you do something for you? There's still time. I mean, you could do that today. There may be some leftover green bean casserole or some mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes. Gracie likes lots of brown sugar on her sweet potatoes with marshmallows and pecans. And did I mention lots of brown sugar? So that's her favorite thing. I got to say, I'm not sure what my favorite part of the meal is for Thanksgiving. There's so many things I like. I love really good dressing. Her grandmother used to make phenomenal dressing. I don't know where that recipe is. I'm sure Gracie or her sister have it. One day when I feel ambitious, I may take a stab at I think what I like, being with my family um, in South Carolina, one of the things I enjoy the most that we do is when I sit at the piano and we all sing hymns. And they'll just call out hymns and we'll, we'll just sing. And I've got some very good singers in my family. They like to do harmonies. And I have a very large family. So... We'll just go through the hymnal and do this, and I'll play until they tell me to stop. I love doing that, and you know, and I do appreciate mom and dad springing for piano lessons when I was a kid. So, it, it, it hopefully the dividends have paid off. Speaking of piano, I I want to give a big shout out to my friend Carl in Texas, and he's a big fan of the caregiver keyboard. And Carl, I got your letter. And I do appreciate it very, very much. Carl is incarcerated. And he listens to this program regularly, listens to this network regularly. And he's able to play certain things on a tablet that was provided for him. And he was able to go out and download some of the songs that Gracie and I have done. And he listens to them in his cell. And I, he gave me the list of the hymns that he's downloaded that I've done and that Gracie has sung and and it just means so much to me to know that in a lonely prison cell that the music that Gracie and I have made is bringing comfort and strength and encouragement to someone and and, uh, Carl I do appreciate that very much those are meaningful things that you share with me and I look forward to you being out on parole uh, in January. And uh, so uh, I want you to know that Gracie and I are praying for you and pulling for you. And appreciate the tremendous work that God has done in your life and what you are accomplishing and what remains yet for you to accomplish. So thank you for letting us be a part of that. And I thank all of you as listeners. I, I think at this Thanksgiving season, expressing our gratitude is key. Do you know how hard it is? To be miserable or resentful while being grateful? Try it sometime. You can't. The more grateful you are, the less opportunity for misery or resentment to enter into your heart. And I think that's something that, as caregivers, is worthy of remembering for us when things get a bit dicey. 
we can always find something to be grateful for. And I know we look around and see some of the challenges we have, but just being in this country is a reason for gratitude. Do you know if you own a car, doesn't matter what kind of car, if you own any kind of car, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you own any kind of car, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. Now think about that. In this country, we're so used to opulence that we lose perspective. But we don't realize how the rest of the world lives. And I think it's important that we take a moment to say, you know, thank you, Lord, that we are in this country. But that's not all that we're grateful, of course. I mean, think about just what we've been given. And one of my favorite little courses, let me go over the caregiver keyboard here. Carl like this. Many of you are going to know this song. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. You know that one? Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. It's hard to be miserable when you're singing this song. Thank, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Sing it with me so I don't have to sing it alone. that's a great course for us as caregivers to think about you know when things get a little bit bleak and they do and the holidays are notoriously hard for caregivers okay thanksgiving is just the first (laughs) it just gets progressively harder as we go through the holiday season for many caregivers when it gets bleak sing that song just see what happens to you See how you do with adjusting your thinking to one of gratitude. You've heard me say many times, the great statesman orator Cicero said, gratitude is the virtue from which all others spring. And I I really believe that. I think as Christians particularly, we should model gratitude like no one else. If we truly understand what has happened to us, that we have been redeemed. If, if we truly understand that, how can anything other than gratitude erupt from us? If you go back and look at a lot of Paul's letters, he starts off with these salutations, and it's just like in mid-sentence, he just erupts in gratitude. It's just this gratefulness, because once you see it, once you understand it, it gets a hold of you, and nothing else can in any way compare 
there's a chapter from my new book. It's called A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day Feels Like Monday. And this chapter is The Comfort of Gratitude. That is the name of this chapter. Chapter 105, The Comfort of Gratitude. And I thought I'd share this with you today. Resentment can lead even the best of hearts into poor judgment, wrath, and even self-destruction. For caregivers, the fight against bitterness remains perpetual. Maybe family and friends left us out to dry. A bad medical call. An employer fired us in a vulnerable moment or a drunk driver caused incalculable pain. There seems to be no end to the opportunities to hold a grudge. Some caregivers even resent themselves while others shake their fist at God. Regardless of the resentment's object, the one who carries the hatred pays the highest price. The only antidote to the poison of resentment is gratitude. What Cicero called the virtue from which all others spring. Gratitude always leads to peace of mind, but bitterness only swindles serenity by deceitfully making us feel powerful in our wounded hearts. Thanksgiving is not simply a meal, nor even a holiday. It's a way of life that refuses resentment's tyrannical hold on our souls. While incurred wounds are real and painful, they can only fester when we nurse them with the septic cloth of resentment. Thankfulness washes those wounds clean and allows them to heal. Hannah Whitehall Smith said, the soul that gives thanks can find comfort in everything. The soul that complains can find comfort in nothing. That's from A Minute for Caregivers, when every day feels like Monday. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And while you're out at that site, I've got something new I'm doing for the holidays. I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm going to do my best. But I thought it's hard to know what to give to a caregiver for Christmas. Many people struggle with that. And we don't have fundraising programs at this ministry at Standing with Hope, which is the presenting sponsor of this program. And that's the parent ministry of hope for the caregiver we don't have golf tournaments or big dinners fundraiser and all that we have hardly any fundraising budget at all and i always come up with creative ways so that we don't have to spend money on fundraising and one of those ways i thought would be to provide a book to a caregiver that you think may benefit from this and it gives you an opportunity to help support this program and this ministry but also put a book in someone's hand who is hurting. And I'll personalize that book. If you There's a little form you can fill out on the holiday package there, and I'll personalize it to them. We'll try to get it there in time. <laughs> but it's uh, um, So don't wait too long. Don't wait till December 24th. I will be in the hospital with Gracie while I'm doing all this. But I thought, if you don't know what to say to a caregiver, well, I do. And I want to put this book in as many hands as possible to help them. I didn't have something like this as I forged along for many, many, many years. And as I told you all before, a counselor once told me, 
I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. So I did. And if you are blessed by this ministry and by this program, you want to support it more and also put this in the hands of a hurting caregiver, then go to hopeforthecaregiver.com slash giving. Hopeforthecaregiver.com slash giving. All right, let me switch gears a little bit. Several years back, my mother had a pretty rough patch with congestive heart failure. And she pulled through it. She did fine. It was a it was a lengthy recovery, and it was a, a challenging time for both she and my dad. And during that, I observed a few things, and so I wrote about this. And it got picked up by several papers for Thanksgiving, and I thought I'd read it to you all today. I don't normally like to read things, but I felt like this article would be poignant for you all today. My mother is doing fine. She's pretty spry. My father is struggling. He is frail but faithful. And this article seemed to mean a lot to many folks. It's called There Used to Be M&Ms. For as long as I can remember, when my father came home from reserve duty in the military, he brought each of my brothers and my sister a pack of M&Ms. Stretching past his military service as a chaplain, he and my mother extended the treats to when we returned home from school. Each time we arrived with our luggage, sometimes filled with dirty laundry, we'd walk into our rooms to find a large bag of M&Ms waiting on the pillow. When they moved away from the house where they raised five sons and a daughter, their new home carried the tradition, bringing our wives, then children, now even our grandchildren, the familiar brown bag treats, sometimes the yellow bags of peanut M&Ms, awaited every family member, except this year. Nearly succumbing to congestive heart failure, my mother endured a dramatic and difficult year, as did my father. A U.S. Navy chaplain, he was a captain, and pastor for nearly 60 years, my father stepped into the role of caregiver for the first time, and I watched the process take a toll on him. It felt odd. While I've cared for my wife with severe disabilities for more than 35 years, I've never seen my dad in this role. I found myself placing a hand on his shoulder much like he did for me many times following my wife's now 85-plus operations. He sat with me in countless ICUs, hospital rooms, and waiting rooms. Now I sat with him. His seasoned faith remains intact and strong, yet he struggled to wrap his mind around the relentless assault of continued medical setbacks. With the same gentleness and encouragement that he offered me over the decades of caregiving, I returned the favor. I've often heard that there's no pain like watching your children hurt. Watching your parents hurt must run a close second. With a Herculean effort by medical staff, along with my mother's grit, she pulled through. While not where she'd like to be, she's further than most expected. After a couple of months away from them, we returned to their home for Thanksgiving. They looked tired, older, but optimistic. The family pulled together and the house looks great. The only significant difference I noticed was an oxygen tank in their bedroom. For the first time in my memory, however, no M&Ms waited on the pillow. The absence of those treats indicates a passage and a farewell to parts of who they used to be. Their home stands in a heavily wooded area of upstate South Carolina, 
As we prepare for Thanksgiving, the trees surrounding their home continue shedding an entire color palette of leaves. The loveliness of autumn is a sad one that brushes hearts the same way the wind grazes branches. So it is when watching those who loomed large in our lives diminish in vigor, but not in beauty. As many will attest, it's the shedding of smaller things, the wisp of common things taken for granted that often bring a tear. Deep feelings often rise to the surface faster during holidays. For many Americans, Thanksgiving marks the beginning of a difficult season of slow goodbyes, bittersweet celebrations, and for some, the ache of absence. Yet not all is sorrow. Slowing our lifestyles to the pace of our hearts, we can cling to each other a bit tighter. After dinner, we can pause a little longer at the table or sit quietly for an extra couple of minutes with those we love. If a chair is empty, we can choose to fill that seat with cherished memories. Families across our country feel this kind of heartache, one so deeply connected to caregiving. Helping those caregivers is no easy task. Yet that help remains critical to not only the caregiver, but also their loved one. Part of that help is assisting caregivers in grieving without them sinking into despair. Doing so always involves redirecting our gaze to gratitude. The treats I've enjoyed for a lifetime no longer await me, but the loving hands that place them are still there to hold. Placing that candy on their pillows instead, I now possess a greater understanding of the joy they both shared for a lifetime. This Thanksgiving, I discovered gratitude can be found in something as simple as a bag of M&Ms. With your permission, I would like to end this section of the program with a special hymn that I play for my mother. It's called Abide With Me. It is maybe one of her, if not her favorite hymn. Anytime she wants me to play it, I play it for her. This is Abide With Me.
This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. This is producer Pat. Peter is in the throes of caregiving. Please pray for him as we revisit this interview with Frank Frazier. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I've been talking about pilots, things I've been learning from friends of mine who are pilots. And over the break, I thought, well, you know what? I want to call a buddy of mine and I'm going to ask him to be on because he is a pilot. Instead of me just fumbling around, I'm going to let you hear from somebody who really understands it. So I'm glad to have my friend Frank Frazier. I've known him for a long time. He's been dealing with aviation since he was a teenager. He's also a caregiver, and he's going to talk a little bit about that as well. Frank, I want you to just take us right at the beginning of some things that you incorporate in your life as a pilot, as a caregiver. I want you to talk about aviation and the principles that you glean from it, how you approach it. So, Frank, glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a student of aviation uh, because I am a pilot. I I try to learn things that, uh, that I would use in my real life action as a pilot. So I try to learn from other people's mistakes. And so, uh, therefore, I, I read a lot of NTSB reports. I study every accident that I am aware of that may apply to something I, I need to know. So things that I have seen are pilots that I've had to do some remedial training with. Like in a Learjet one time, I hired a, a good good young captain or good young co-pilot who was training to be a captain. He, he got bored uh, or, I guess, put out with the lengthy pre-flight checklist items and the pre-taxi checklist items, and then the pre-takeoff checklist items, and then you do the after-takeoff checklist, and you do, you know, the climb and all that. Uh, So he he showed up one day, uh, did his pre-flight like he was supposed to. We got in the cockpit, and we were were getting ready to go off on a trip, and uh, we um, started the engines, and, you know, you use a checklist to start the engines. And... um, he didn't want to read the checklist. He says, okay, I'm watching you go ahead. And I said, no, uh, what do you mean? And he, he looked over and he got a pad out that he had handwritten his own checklist, uh, that he was going to make sure I followed, uh, but it had nothing to do with what the, uh, the FAA approved checklist. It wasn't in the same order. It wasn't the same procedures and all that. And I said, Ed, Stop the plane right here. Let's start over here. You don't ever do something like that again in an airplane because you're going to, you're going to miss something very important there. So let me tell you some things that can be missed. Uh, there's, a, there's a particular check on uh, this particular airplane where the starting of the engines can sometimes cause a, a breaker failure because of the amount of current going through them. If you don't separate the two generators and see if they're both working, you pull a main breaker there to do that, then you won't ever know that one of your generators may not be working because you're still getting the, the correct reading on the single gauge uh, of both generators. You would be getting 300 on each side, you think, but you may not be. So that's that's one example. Another example would be uh, pilots who forget to, tur- uh, as they're taxiing out, get in a hurry, forget to put the flaps down. That's not a good thing. If you don't read that checklist and say, when the, when, when the co-pilot reads flaps, if you don't reach down with your hand and to that flap switch and say, set for takeoff, as you look at that gauge, it's 10 or 20 degrees, depending on what you want to use um, for the conditions. 
So that is um, a real good example of things that can go wrong uh, really bad. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'd like to give you a, an example of an airliner who did, or which did the same thing back in the uh, 80s uh, out of Detroit. The, the pilots landed, and you, you think this is professional crew, highly trained. Uh, and they, they land, and they're in a hurry to make their gate turn around. And they are taxing in using a lot of power. Well, there's, and there's a system on that airplane that uh, will warn you if you're using a lot of power and you don't have the flaps down. Uh, this was a, a DC-9 MD-82. Uh, that if you're taxing and using a lot of power and you don't have the flaps down, that's a warning. Hey, you can't take off without the flaps. So they disabled that breaker, that system, by pulling a breaker on it. Went into the gate, got their passengers, taxied out. And uh, I've heard the actual audio recording, they use it in training when, I, when you go to school, of these pilots taxiing away from the gate, and they're not in a hurry now, so they never raise the throttles up very high, just use normal taxi power. And they're talking about everything under the sun as they go out there. They never performed any checklist whatsoever. They got all the way to the runway, cleared for takeoff, gave it the power, no flaps are down, I uh, remind you. Uh, they didn't know the flaps weren't down. The plane barely got off the ground at the end of the runway in what we call ground effect. It never got over maybe 100 feet, and it crashed right off the end of the runway onto an interstate. Every passenger on it died except one, and that was a little, little baby girl that was underneath, just happened to be in a seat. I don't know if anybody remembers that crash. When they go back and read or listen to the cockpit voice recording, they learned that's what happened, that they did not follow the checklist. And that's a, that's a, that's a horrible way to learn, but that's how things happen like that. Well, I've heard that when the NTSB, by the way, I've, also another thing I've heard, and you tell me if you've heard the same thing, that of all the government programs out there, and we all kind of raise our eyes at the government, we're here to help you, that kind of thing. But the NTSB is one of those that actually does exactly what they're supposed to do, and they're very serious about it, and they know their business. Exactly right. They're they're very. Uh, uh, I've attended a couple of hearings that happened to be uh, close by before, and you know it's very professional. There there are a, a group of judges they call them. They um, sometimes it's a full you know three court judge, or sometimes just a single judge if he's hearing a pilot violation. Uh, they they adjudicate all the violations that get appealed. If the FAA, you know, wants to uh, revoke someone's license or suspend their license or whatever, the pilot has the right to appeal that to the NDSB and then get a hearing with a judge that's not an FAA judge or an FAA person. As you as you tell me these principles, now these guys didn't follow a checklist. They didn't follow a pre-agreed upon set of protocols that are there for their safety and everyone else's safety. And how important is that regiment in your life as a caregiving dad? You have a special needs daughter and it, it you can't just wing it and not go through a checklist in your own life with her. Can you? Well, our daughter has taught us that we must write a checklist for her. And so she gets up every morning and, and brings us a notepad. She can't talk, but she can, um, she has a talker. But she doesn't like to use that with her mom, mom and dad. She likes for us to figure out what she wants us to do. And um, she brings us a notepad, uh, yellow, one of my yellow pads, 
And she hands us an ink pen and says, here, you know, write down what we're going to do today. And so we write down, well, you're going to brush your teeth. You're going to, we're going to put your clothes on. You're going to eat breakfast. We're going to get in the car. We're going to uh, go to school. We're going to um, uh, take these certain things to school today. Then we're going to, when you get out, you're going to do all. She has to follow that checklist. So therefore I have to follow that checklist and know what she's got on that checklist. And uh, I guess that maybe came from my, my training as a pilot is where she learned that. I don't know. But, well, she, um, and she adheres to it, doesn't she? She doesn't oh, yes. forget. And she, she marks it off as we accomplish each one. She, has, she puts a line through it. But, you know, that's so much of a, our life as caregivers. And I, like I said, I've learned so many different life applications from the things you told me as pilots. What happens when we try to make shortcuts? Uh, we try to hurry up, you know, haste makes waste. And there's a reason that saying is out there. And when it comes to our job as caregivers, we can't afford to do shortcuts. We can't afford to skip steps. We have to be regimented and consistent. And these are things that I'm learning. I've learned from you. What is it like to be the, the PIC, the pilot mm -hmm. in command and those kinds of things. We got one minute before the break, then we'll do it. We'll come back on the next segment, but talk a little bit about pilot in command that you're in charge of this. Cause I want caregivers to understand that they're the caregiver in command, that, that it's okay for them to wield that authority. What does that look like to you? As a pilot? Yeah. As a pilot, you know, you're, you're responsible for the entire success of the, of the mission that you're assigned to. So you, you have to not only be capable of doing, uh, everything that's on that checklist, but you have to be uh, qualified to, and, and I guess, smart enough to delegate those things that you should delegate to someone else who you know is uh, properly qualified. Uh, your co-pilot could be a flight attendant if you have a, a, one of those on board. Sometimes you have a maintenance technician that rides along on a flight and you might, uh, if he's your employee, you can legally assign him something to do that's uh, something you need done on the flight. You have to be able to delegate. You have to uh, rely on them doing their job and be able to rely on them doing their job and then, uh, you know, execute the mission. How is that any different as a caregiving dad? It's not, because I'm going to tell you, uh, we have to do that every day, every day. And sometimes we make a little mistake. Natalie usually catches us because she is what we call an OCD child. She, she'll get in the car, Peter. Um, and she has a checklist that she goes through. There's nothing to do with that ink, that pad. She she has a a, a a name band or name tag on her wrist that she thinks is crucial to her life because it's got her name on there. It's got a medical alert thing on it. It's got mom and dad's name and phone number on there. And she will show that to someone who says something, who comes up to her and says, "What's your name?" And she'll she'll show them that. If we go push the button, if we're late to school for some reason, she will hold that name tag up to the camera to show them because she can't talk when they say, who's, what, you know, what do you need when to come in school here? She'll hold that thing up there to the, on the camera. And so that's one thing she, she absolutely won't just, just like Mary Express, she won't leave home without it. And uh, she has another thing. She has to have her headband. She has to have, her um, speakers that go to her iPad, the headphones, she has to have uh, her water bottle. And if we get in the car and I start out the garage and she'll, she'll say, ah, 
And I'll say what? And she'll go point to her head or she'll point to her wrist or she'll point to that water bottle or the speaker. She'll say, I don't have a thing to plug into the, to the iPad. And so, you know, it's, she it's makes, quite she a, makes sure quite, that your flaps uh, are properly down. <laughs> she, huh? make, she makes sure that your flaps are properly down. Oh yeah. She, down. <laughs> she's my co-pilot in the car. I mean, when I make a wrong turn to go, if I don't go, if I were to, the summer school she went to this year was not the same as her high school. And so when I, we got down Hellsborough Road and almost to Franklin High School and I turned left on Mac Hatcher, which was right before the school, she, she pointed out, no, 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 that you got the school's over there. And uh, I said, no, Natalie, we're going to a different school now. You're going to a, she says, oh, okay, that's fine. And, you know, if I make a wrong turn or if I well, leave she a doesn't light say, on, She doesn't say, okay, but she nods it. She, she, yeah, she'll say, okay, like that. Yeah. 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 But, uh. I'm talking with my friend, Frank Frazier. We're talking about life lessons learned as a caregiver from being a pilot. This is Peter Roseberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Don't go away. we got more to go. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. HopefortheCaregiver.com. While you're out there, check out all the different things we offer. Our podcast is free, books, music, blog. You can also go out to Facebook. Uh, join our Hope for the Caregiver group on Facebook. We put a lot of special things in there as well, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. I'm talking with a longtime friend of mine, Frank Frazier. He has educated me on all things airline and pilots and uh, aviation of what this means. And I've, the principles that he shared, I've, I've seen such a correlation to us as caregivers, how we have to be regimented on certain things. We're the caregiver in command, just like the pilot in command. And the pilot learns how to designate, delegate, um, and enlist help from, from whoever's on the, on the plane, whether there's a flight attendant, maintenance worker, whatever, the pilot is in charge, just like we as caregivers are in charge. Frank understands the journey. He's a caregiver himself. He's got a daughter with special needs. She's nonverbal, but she is a force of nature. I've known Natalie since she was a tiny girl, and she is a force of nature, and it forces Frank to be on his game. I think he'd probably rather be commanding a bunch of pilots than having to go head-to-head with Natalie, but he, uh, he's taught me a lot of these things, and and unfortunately, a lot of things that happen in planes that go wrong end up being disastrous. And yes, the airlines have learned from them. Every pilot learns it's incorporated training, but it's a very painful lesson. And we talked about the, the Eastern flight that went down in the Everglades 50 years ago. Frank mentioned the one at a, a major commercial airline where they didn't have the flaps proper. They had t- taken off a breaker, just little things, because they, d- they didn't follow the checklist. Um, I want to talk about a concept you've always said because when pilots get up in the air and and you you are a big fan of watching all these investigative shows about airlines and what happens and then you follow stuff with the ntsb and so forth you've told me many 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 times that pilots in the air one of the things that causes so many problems and was is when pilots allow themselves to get distracted and they're not not just being in a hurry they they focus on the minors instead of flying the plane, fly the plane, fly the plane, and the, because the plane is moving it and for as a correlation, it'd be like us putting on the cruise control in our car and then going to the back seat and to fix a problem with the seatbelt in the back seat. 
who's driving the car. So you mm. got to drive the car. It's still moving. The plane is moving. Talk about that and how we as caregivers don't, we don't have the luxury of fixating on the minor. We're going to have to do two things and keep the main thing, fly the plane, be the caregiver, see the big picture, because our loved one's going to want to sometimes take us into these tangents that can get us all distracted before we know it, we're off course. Is that something you've seen in your own life? And talk about how that principle works, not only in aviation, but for you as a caregiver. Well, yeah, one of the, one of the worst things that can happen uh, is, is get distracted uh, doing your job. And if you're a pilot flying along and say you have a, you know, generator failure and it, it sets off a light on the, on the panel and, you know, you got to address that. It's, it's usually not a red light. It's a, it's an amber light. An amber means, Hey, you need to take a look at this. It's not an emergency, but a red light means it's an emergency. If you've got a, one of those, you've got about a hundred of them on the panel that could go off. Um, but you have amber lights and red lights. So, you know, sometimes you get an amber light and, you know, it's, it's like, maybe you need to reset a breaker. Maybe you need to, uh, look in the book and see what to do next and look at the checklist and you've got every possible breaker or light panel light, uh, is listed in the back of the checklist. And, you know, it'll tell you, you know, if this happens, do that, or this is how you try to remedy that. If that doesn't fix it, you go do this. It's give you a step-by-step for each and every possible scenario you can get into. Well, when you do that with, um, in life here, uh, in our home, uh, you know, well, let me go back to the airplane. So what happens is what, what would that will do for you or to you is it'll take your eyes away from flying. It'll take your eyes away from the other instruments that are in the airplane. It'll take your concentration away from what your navigation is doing and all that. And ordinarily, if you're on autopilot, everything's going to be fine. But um, when your head's down, looking at a book, you're not flying the airplane. You're you're hoping that the autopilot's got it, and you're hoping that – you're not so distracted that you miss your radio call sign. And they say, uh, you know, so-and-so turn left to this heading, there's traffic 12 o'clock, five miles, whatever. If you miss that call, you know, then you got a problem, probably not with an accident, but you're going to get in trouble because you didn't react to that. And they're going to have to make the other guy do something that he didn't want to do. So that, that gets you into a a bad spot. So when your head's down and your focus is not uh, there, You've got to um, avoid that situation. So what you should do in that condition is tell the co-pilot, hey, I'm going to look at this. You watch out. You fly the plane in my absence here. You're in charge while I look at this problem. Same thing with Natalie. Um, You know, when I get distracted, maybe with a phone call, maybe with a problem uh, uh, otherwise, um, then uh, I'm not paying attention to Natalie or I might miss something she's doing. And the next thing you know, you know, she's got the hot water on in the faucet and doesn't know exactly what that means. And um, so, you, you know, you can get distracted and then you, you're, you're, if you don't have someone else to help and if it's just you, you, you really get, can, can get into a bad spot. And I have done that. I mean, that's, this is why this resonated so deeply with me because, you know, I'm the sole caregiver for Gracie. And when I get distracted with a smaller problem and take my eyes off the bigger picture, this thing can get pretty gnarly pretty quick. And so I've had to learn to detach from some of those things. Okay, we're going to get to that, 
but not right now. Right now, I've got to bring us into a place of safety before we can look at that. We're going to have to look at that on the ground, if you will. How big an emergency is this? Now, if I got a bunch of red lights going off, well, that's a you know that's a class ten emergency, and you have to you have to use some discernment and wisdom, and that doesn't come easily. That comes from experience, and it comes from surrounding yourself with some some smart people who've done this before. But part of being a caregiver for me is learning what is the priority. And when this thing is moving like a plane in the air, the priority is make sure it stays in the air and it's flying, not spinning out of control. And that, that lesson from Eastern back in 1972 is a painful lesson because those guys didn't realize they disengaged the autopilot. And everybody in the cockpit was focusing on that, that light. And it turns out the landing gear was fine. It was just that burnout bulb. That's right. And yet everybody's attention was on that. And it, and I understand if your landing gear doesn't work, that's a big deal. So they need to understand that. But they got, they've got more than one person in that cockpit to do that. They could have taken a different approach. And that's of what course, delegation. Yeah. Well, that's and where the delegation NTSB, comes in. It does, and the NTSB is really good to take those things and put that into training. And out of that comes a lot of good stuff, a lot of good detection systems and so forth. Well, yeah. What cost? But what cost? Right. And so as caregivers, I think we have, um, we have an opportunity to learn from the principles of those things. We don't have to freak out over every little light that blinks on the, on the pan. We're going to have to use some discernment and some wisdom. Talk about how in the last few minutes I got, talk about how that's changed for you in your life as a caregiver. I mean, when, when Natalie was young, I mean, this was all brand new. And, you're, you know, every time you're around something like this, they go to the hospital or whatever, you think this is, this is DEFCON 5. But you've learned how to, how to settle yourself down with that over the years, haven't you? Yeah, we have. I mean, we've had a lot of um, early on uh, reactionary things. I mean, Natalie is also prone to seizures. Uh, and she takes very um, strong medicine to avoid those seizures. But um, we just recently, um, we've, we found out that a particular type of cold medicine uh, could actually trigger a seizure over and above the limits of the medication. And she had a couple of seizures over a two-day period that she hasn't had two in two years. And um, so we had, we had to figure out, well, what are we doing wrong here? And of course, we had a we had a good conversation with our uh, neurologist uh, that treats Natalie, and he's a he's a he's a um, pediatric ne- chief of neurology, and he's a very very guy. He said, "Well, what kind of medicine she been taking?" And so we told him, "He said, oh, no, don't don't give her that. That that can override the the seizure medicine.'" So we have, so but when that happens, you know, you're like the first time she ever had one, we were like rushing to the ER. I mean, we we went straight down there. And now that we've learned how to deal with her seizures, they don't last. Follow the speed limit, were you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the uh, so you know you got to learn. Well, okay, so she had a seizure, but she Christy, of course, is wonderful because she's an RN and she's had uh, seen a lot of seizures. But uh, when it's your child, you look at it different. And uh, so we had to not get used to it, but learn how to deal with it better. And um, if she doesn't react or, or come come out of the seizure quickly, we have a, a rescue drug that we can inject her with, and that will that will bring her back around. But we haven't never had to use that at this time to, to date. 
Well, see, that's the kind of thing that comes over time and you learn how to prioritize and it's, it's wisdom that comes at, at a great cost. It always does. Wisdom mm-hmm. comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> and so <laughs> exactly, I, 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 I get that, but I, I wanted you to know, um, how much I've appreciated over the years you share. I've paid attention to everything you say, which I know that could probably get me in a lot of trouble. And, uh, but it's, uh, I, I do listen because I think that the high pressure situation that you find in the cockpit of airplanes, you know, that's a pretty stressful situation that you've got to learn how to, to do this and manage it with precision, with delegation, with wisdom, with discernment. And that's our life as caregivers. It, 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 there's not a lot of margin for error, is there? No. Not. <laughs> so, so we have to be uh, uh, on top of our game. I hope you've enjoyed this time today. Frank, I want you to know how much I appreciate it. We've got to run. We're out of time. But this is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And also, please remember this. Just like in aviation, there's an air traffic controller that keeps track of all the planes. We also have one, a savior who never loses any of his. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll see you next time.